This is the final installment of our study of the Apostles' Creed. A good time has been had by all. And uh, if I had brought the copies with me, then we would say it together again, but I didn't. And so I'm depriving you. You'll have to wait until we say it again as a church um, in a couple weeks on Sunday. But uh, I hope that this has better equipped us to understand what it is that we're saying and why it would be important for us to continue to um, declare the Apostles' Creed, our trust in the Lord. Um, Our focus today is on the last line of the creed, I believe, in the life everlasting. Pretty simple, everlasting, eternal life. But before we get there, I want us to review a bit from last week as we talk about the resurrection of the body. So, someone help me, and if you're sitting close, you might still be able to see the outline, but what are the three stages of uh, the resurrection worked out in our lives? Conversion to death. Second, death to what? Christ's return. To Christ's return. Yeah. Don't guess. What's the third? Christ's return. Until eternity. Forever. So. All of these uh, legitimate, real working out of the hope of the resurrection in our lives. Uh, When we are born into this world, we are born spiritually dead in sin, but by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are brought to new life. The biblical terminology, we are born again. And in uh, 1 Peter 1, we're told that this is through the power of the resurrection. So the resurrection is at work in our lives, in the world. Uh, The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is given to the Christian to bring resurrection life. So whether you truly become a Christian when you're so little you can't remember, or when you were a teenager, or a week ago, or sometime in the future, that is the resurrection being worked out in your life. Um, The first stage of redemption, conversion to death. The second stage... From death until Jesus returns, often called the intermediate state, not to be confused with purgatory or anything like that. It's not intermediate like that, Um, like we're waiting on salvation, maybe. It's real, live salvation realized, and yet it's not uh, realized to the fullest sense that it will be realized. So what happens to our bodies and our souls during this intermediate state? Our bodies return to dust, go in the ground, um, rot and decay. Our souls go immediately to heaven to be with the Lord. So much of this is understood by inference in Scripture, but uh, we see in the Scripture's example, 1 Corinthians 15, that our bodies are not raised until the last trumpet when Christ returns. So it talks about our bodies being sown as perishable seed when we die. Uh, They go in the ground, they perish. But they are raised imperishable when Christ returns. We get a new body. But this does not mean that we do not actually go be with the Lord when we die. We do. We really do, right when we die, go be with the Lord. 
Uh, We know this, for example, by Jesus' statement to the thief on the cross. Uh, He says, Today you will be with me in paradise. And just because we do not have our new resurrection bodies does not mean that we are not really there. It doesn't mean that we will be unrecognizable in our glorified state before we get our new bodies. We know this, for example, Matthew 17, uh, when Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah appear, and they know it's Moses and Elijah, and they can see them. And so there's something... We don't really understand. There's a mystery. and You don't have your new resurrection body and yet you're recognizable um, to loved ones, for instance. So there is still, it's still you. You're not some nebulous mist. There's still personhood and yet you're not as restored as you will be when you get your new body. Okay, on to eternal life. When does eternal life begin? Is it a... Uh, present reality or is it a future reality or is it both? Both. Why do you say that? Well, because the eternal life that will be fulfilled in eternity future is indwelling and begins now at conversion. That's exactly right. All right, let's let's look at this uh, because the Bible speaks of eternal life as being a present reality and also a future reality. I want to look at a few passages. Turn to John chapter five. John chapter five twenty four. We're going to look at like eight passages, so this is just good old Bible drill from your Sunday school days. Whoever gets there first, read it. John five twenty four. John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this person who believes Christ already has eternal life. He has already passed from death to life. He or she. Uh, 1 John 3.14 Somebody bust over to 1 John. Read 3.14 and Josh, if you keep winning, keep reading, man. Just get nervous. Three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So, if you have love for the body of Christ, you have already passed from death to life. Somebody read First John five eleven and twelve. You might as well. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Whoever has the Son has life. You have the Son right now, you have eternal life. Uh, Back to John 17, verses 1 through 3. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you know God, you have eternal life. 
There we see four different passages speaking of eternal life being a present reality. And yet, let's look at a few that talk about it being future. Matthew 25, 46. Now I know you guys can beat Josh there. Matthew 20, he's using a real Bible. Some of you on a digital thing just... No, 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 no. He's making our smartphones look very unintelligent. I'm telling you. Bible drill, guys. Come on. Come on. Come on, Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, so this is talking about the judgment and speaking about something that's going to happen at the judgment. People going into eternal judgment, people going into eternal life. Uh, Mark 10, 29 and 30. So there are people who have followed Christ at great cost and what he's saying is you're going to receive uh, a lot back in this life but in the age to come you will receive eternal life. And what about John 12:25? This is interesting because we've already seen John talk about eternal life being a uh, present reality and yet in John 12:25 he talks about it being a future reality. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There you go. Uh, Jude 20 and 21, right before Revelation. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Okay, uh, you might be able to say the last one there. Maybe it's referring to something present, but it's pretty clear, at least in a couple of those, that it's talking about something future. So we see that eternal life is already a present reality, and yet there is a sense in which eternal life has not yet been inherited. Uh, there, we're, we're awaiting eternal life, and we have eternal life. There's a lot of things that work this way out um, in the scriptures, and work out this way, so a good uh, way to talk about eternal life is already not yet. Uh, this would apply in a number of other ways. The kingdom, already not yet. The kingdom of God has already come, the kingdom of God is still coming, the kingdom of God has not yet come. Uh, eternal life, we already have eternal life, we don't yet have eternal life. And that's not contradicting, it's just like the stages of the resurrection being worked out, there is a true sense in which we already have eternal life and there's a true sense in which we await eternal life. Um, it's, it's the stages of its development of receiving the inheritance, the gift, and that's important to see. Alright. Um, what is the essence of eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing God. What does it mean to know God? That is good. That's good. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, 
I know. I think I know what you mean. But I think there are people in here that would say we're still hindered by sin, and we. But we do know God, so maybe we're unshackled from our sin. We don't have to serve our sin, and I think that's what you're getting at: is it's no longer Lord of our life. Um, certainly, that's a part of knowing God. It doesn't just mean that we know that He's there, right? Everyone knows that He's there. That's the argument of Romans chapter 1. Even atheists know that He's there. Um, It says that God has revealed Himself in the things that He has made. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So everyone knows that He's there, but the argument of Romans 1 is there are people who suppress that truth. They hold it down. They, They do not want it to have any influence in their life so, yeah, 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 I know there's God, but I'm not dealing with that. I'm going to be my own God. And that's the life of the unbeliever. Um, so it can't just mean that we know He's there, because everyone knows He's there. And it also can't just mean that we say we believe in Him. Um, there's the passage in the Gospels, even the demons believe and shudder. So they believe in Jesus in some sense. They know He is who He says He is uh, because He is their uh, master, though not in a saving sense, but they only do as He allows, permits, directs them to do. Maybe troubling, hard to understand, but they are under the Lordship of Christ. He's Lord of all, including Satan and demons. Um, We see this played out even in the Old Testament where Satan comes to God and asks permission to go and trouble Job. You know, if you read the first chapter of Job, that's what's going on there. If God said no, he wouldn't have troubled him. Uh, But God gave the permission. So it can't just mean that we know that God is there to know God in, in this sense of eternal life. It can't just mean that we believe in some vague sense because even the demons believe. Um, but it would be truly trusting the Lord, uh, submitting to the Lord, loving the Lord. Uh, there is this idea of intimate knowledge. You know, like when Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. That is uh, knowledge of one another. And yet it's not just mental assent. There is an intimacy there. And so one of the things that we should say about true knowledge of God is that it is fruitful. Adam knew his wife, she conceived, and there was fruit. They had children. It's the same in true knowledge of God. It's fruitful knowledge. It it bears fruit. If we truly know Him, if we truly trust Him, if we truly have intimacy with Him, if we truly have faith in Him, there will be fruitfulness in our life. Um, Such as not serving sin. Repenting of sin, you know, walking according to God's commands. We don't perfect that, certainly, in this life, but there is a fruitfulness in the life of the believer as evidence of a true knowledge of God. Um, what is the opposite of eternal life, and what are the hallmarks of that reality? Eternal death, um, eternal condemnation. So, in eternal life, there is no more wrath from God. And that is something that you can rehearse and believe and rejoice in now. 
that um, all of God's wrath has been removed from you because it was all placed on Christ in your place. There is no more wrath from God in eternal life. And yet, in eternal condemnation uh, or eternal death, there is unceasing fullness of the wrath of God. So it's not that God has no more wrath in reserves. He has plenty of wrath. There's just no more wrath to be issued to the believer because Jesus took it all in our place. But there's more wrath uh, for those that are not in Christ. Another way to think about it, in eternal life, uh, one has none of the curses of God because Jesus took the curses of God on our behalf on the cross and we have all of the blessings of God in Christ. In eternal death or condemnation, one has none of the blessings of God because they're not in Christ, and all of the blessings of God are issued in Christ, and will receive all of the curses of God. Obviously, uh, very sobering things to think so, about. But when you talk about blessings, like you talked earlier about the rain falling on the just and yeah. the unjust, would that be a different type of blessing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, general grace. The, yeah, difference grace. between common grace and special or... Um, Saving grace. Yeah. There are blessings that are given to all mankind, such as rain or food or clothing. Uh, Believing that God is sovereign over everything and that He still... uh, Or levels of uh, justice in a society. Certainly some societies have better laws than others, but there are pagan societies that operate um, decently and that would be common grace from God. But it talks about, uh, is it Ephesians 1 or 1 Peter 1, that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So all of the spiritual blessings of God, um, like His grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting and the things that we've been rehearsing. That's good. All right, what will eternal life be like in the future sense? You think it'd be fun? Why do you say that? Well, if he's going to bless us, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. As a positive, a blessing is a positive. Yeah, I mean. um, Biblical. (laughs) I I don't think that that is uh, wrong, uh, as long as we understand a certain depth to what you're saying. I mean, the. um, But you know, Psalm sixteen eleven in your. Uh, presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in glory. Obviously the central blessing is the presence of God. Um, But out of that knowledge of God, proximity with God, fellowship with God, there are there's a fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So I have it's perfectly fine for you to say that heaven's going to be fun. <laughs> it's better than what we tend to think is like I'm going to be so bored. What am I going to do forever? You know. Uh, First of all, there's horses, so that's good. That's life. good. And if there's horses there, there's got to be my dogs. Yeah. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're a veterinarian. Actually, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> In their receiving their reward and no longer having to operate. <laughs> Yeah. There is work. Yeah. There was tough, there will be comments, there will be, you know, we read in our grace group class, it was like probably six, seven years ago, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Ah. I think that's Catherine. Yeah. But um, it's really enlightening yeah. to think about what, I mean, it, you know, there's only little segments that you can plug out of scripture. Sure. But, you know, you do look at that pre fall period. Um, they were doing things. I mean, they were. You know, there was responsibility. And Jesus even hints at that in some of his parables, people give, being given more responsibility and things like that. Um, work is a pre-fall institution, meaning work is good. And um, when we... <laughs> it's got to be exciting that there's work without the without failure or without yeah. pain or without... It's hard. I don't think we can imagine that because it's everything we do has... Curse on it. Yeah. So that's why I think work Yeah, and and we also run into the limits of what we can imagine. Um, without sin, the only reality that we know is full of sin, and we don't know really where its influence stops and and God's good design starts sometimes. But um, there are things that you can emphasize, and if that thought really makes your stomach turn, it's probably because sin has so influenced, you know, your lived experience in terms of work. But it's actually very helpful to re-engage our work when we understand the goodness of the work that God has assigned, and yet the frustration that is brought because of sin and the breakdown because of the fall. Yeah, um, though that will that is in seed form. Uh, we what we will be receiving is greater than Eden, but it is not less. Um, so where you see certain principles uh, instituted there, like work being a part of this pre-fall life, it's safe to assume that that's going to be something of what it's like there. We're going to be with God. God was there. Um, and I would show you, so for, let's read a couple passages in Revelation and, and we can look at this. <coughs> Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Okay, so someone help me with this already not yet paradigm. How do we see something of the new heaven and new earth already, even just from this passage? 
That's right. That is the promise of the covenant from beginning to end, from the covenant with Abraham on through the new covenant in Christ. I will be your God. You will be my people. And so that is already true. We are already God's people. So the blessings of the new heaven and the new earth, the central blessing is already in some sense realized because we are already God's. He has already committed Himself, covenanted Himself with us, and that is the basis of our security eternally, that we can know that we will be with Him in eternal life in the future because we already have the central blessing of eternal life. Now, He is our God. We are His people. And yet, there is this not yet sense in which, I mean, the sea is still there. And, I, you know, some of this stuff I don't really understand. But He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Well, death is still a reality. And there are still tears. And there is still pain. Um, there won't be because the former things will have passed away. And so there's still this not yet reality to eternal life that we long for, hope for, look forward to. But we see God's already with us. Um, we're already His people. He's already our God. And, and that will be further realized there. Okay, turn to Revelation 22, 1-5. through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and one and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The longer, uh, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Um, Okay. One of the things why I think it's legitimate that we should make the connection back to Eden is because here we see the tree of life. When we're told about the new heaven and the new earth, we are. um, it talks about the tree of life, its leaves are for the healing of the nations, talks about God's people reigning, um, on the earth, so there's some sense in what, what are you reigning over? <laughs> you know, it's back to this reality of Eden where there was responsibility, which, you know, the context of the, uh, of the creation mandate um, to, you know, have dominion and, and reign as God's image bearers on the earth, and yet we will be able, it's a, we should think about it like a restored Eden with no serpent and no sin, and what would it be like for Eden to be fleshed out to the ends of the earth? Because that was the original design, was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And so the connection we should make for eternal life is a new Eden. It's very, we don't get everything, but we do get some things, and there's a lot in there that we can then... Surely we, we don't just have to say we'll be bored because what are we going to do forever? You know, there's a, there's a lot that we can begin to think. But again, the central blessing is that God is there. We are with Him. We will worship Him. We will see His face. And um, we will serve Him. I don't know how it all works. I can't imagine a world without sin. I just can't. It's, it's, um, it's too real right now and it frustrates everything but we can sure try 
Okay, any questions or thoughts about that? Well, um, one, one little thing that I would point out, in, in what sense is the new heaven and new earth already a present reality? Uh, when you think of 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. So there's already a working out of this newness of the new heaven and new earth. Now, you're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. And yet, there's a sense in which the former things won't pass away until the end. Because we're still mixed in this sin-stained body and sin-stained world. and we So in the sense it's not yet, Romans 8, the creation groans and awaits for uh, the redemption of the sons of God and the restoration of all of creation. But it's already here because we're new creations in Christ, but it's not yet here because the creation still groans and is going through birth pangs um, awaiting what God is preparing, has prepared for us in the new heaven, new earth. Okay, uh, in light of all of this, how should we then live? What do you think? I was reading this morning. Now, it's Ann Boss Camp, okay, so roll with me. All right. But, uh, she suggested that since Christ died for us selflessly and in full love, loving us, um, she suggested that when we live, selflessly or we love the people around us in that kind of light, you know, without expecting return, that sort of thing. Um, she suggested that that's kind of a window into eternity. Like, I think it's a perfect answer. I don't know the full range of Ann Voskamp's works, but whatever she said there is very good. Um, there, I said before, the kingdom has already come. Jesus said when He arrived on the scene, the kingdom is at hand. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom which had already come. And yet, we pray, Our Father in heaven, Thy kingdom come. Because the kingdom has not yet fully come and it still needs to come. He, his kingdom is still being further spread and established on the earth. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, when all things are at their end and Jesus has returned, He will present the kingdom to the Father. So that the kingdom will fully and finally come. It's that already, not yet. But the, the important thing to see, and, and it's, it's even important to connect that theme of kingdom back to Genesis, that was a part of God's design. It's a part of what it means to be an image bearer of God, is that we are servants of His kingdom, spreading His kingdom to the ends of the earth. So when He saves us, He restores us to His original design. We pray, Thy kingdom come, and we serve Him to spread His kingdom to the ends of the earth. So when we serve Him in faith, in selfless love, it is the kingdom coming. And it is a window into eternity when the kingdom will fully and finally come. So when you think that your life is mundane and meaningless, it's far from that, even if you're serving Him in small spaces. Because you're serving God truly. You're walking with God, and as you serve Him in faith, in imitation of Him, His kingdom is coming, whether it's in your home, or in your workplace, or in your neighborhood, or in this city, or to the ends of the earth. Um, and that really ought to give significance and meaning to what may seem a mundane existence. Um, it's not mundane, it's, it's world-changing to serve the Lord with faithfulness.
And it is a window into eternity. The way that things will be. Anything else? I to bring about God's kingdom here on earth, like what a joy it is to be a part of it. And I think so many times we try to think of what is God's will for my life versus, I don't know, the next person um, or my kids' purpose in life or any of this. But it's the verse on we're to unite all things back together. So we talked about the five-pointed curse for sin. You actually see all the brokenness in yeah. every aspect of life, not just you personally. And so when you talk to anybody, when you look at your own life, it's to see what's broken and fix it yeah. in the name of the Lord. And yeah. that might be in parenting, that might be in your workplace, that might be working at an orphanage, whatever like the situation God's placed you in in that moment, yeah. to look for what's broken and fix it. Can you help me remember, since you're the one that taught me, uh, the five-pointed curse... Um, Mankind versus God is the big one, right? That's where the breakdown is in separation from God. We have man versus man. Breakdown in relationships. Uh, Sin makes relationships hard. We have man versus self. This would be um, depression, anxiety, uh, mental disorder, other shame, things like that. Um, man versus nature, a or nature versus man, you know, vice versa. A lion eats a human, or uh, people are not doing what we've been called to do in caring for creation. That was even the sunburn and mosquito bite. Sunburn, oh, <laughs> mosquito. My my poor daughter would tell you about this one and her mosquito bites, which are from hell. I mean, they really. Like, you, yeah. you want to look for a greater sunburn cure. I mean, like there yeah. is yeah. kingdom work in that, you know. And then you know, <laughs> nature versus nature. Um, well, the thing that I think about there is the passage about the new uh, creation, where the lion will lie down with the lamb, and so we have to look at the current state of affairs in the animal kingdom and see some sort of breakdown. And that it will not always be that way. But to Elaine's point, understanding that we are created to know and serve God, and that heaven is knowing and serving God, and that in the in between, we are to know and serve God. And if you want to know where to do that, well, we look at all these areas where sin has disrupted and tarnished the creation, and what we're trying to do is give windows into eternity. We're, we're trying to labor and pray God's kingdom come in these areas where the, where the curse has so destroyed, not destroyed, disrupted and tarnished creation and give windows so that they will glorify our Father in heaven. I just, I think there's some things, I don't know, I'm just thinking of several years ago when I sat with a friend whose marriage was completely tanked and um, she has gone through hurt in this life that she didn't deserve that none of us would want or what I'm trying to say is there are hurts in this world and there's sin in this world that will not be fixed that's exactly until we meet him you're right and I love that it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes because he understands our pain yeah like death isn't natural and that's right 
I love to teach my kids one day he's coming back for us and all this brokenness is going to get fixed. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so protecting from the thought that, well, if we just kind of say our prayers and get to work, then things are... But is the kingdom really coming? Yes. But <laughs> is eternal life still future? Yes, it is. And, and while we may get real live glimpses and windows into eternity until Christ returns and puts all things right, we're still gonna. Death is still gonna be a reality. Pain is still gonna be a reality. Unfruitful labor is still gonna be a reality. Unanswered prayers in the way that we are seeking them to be answered still gonna be a reality. Um, but one day, someday, and that is what we are declaring when we say we believe in the life everlasting. It is present, and and there are implications now, and yet if we only have hope in this life, we're in trouble. And, and we defer to the future the fullness of the restoration, the inheritance that we have in Him. Let's pray on that note. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your good design for this uh, all of creation, Lord. And we collectively agree that we are those who have suppressed the truth and spurned you and turned from you all we like sheep have gone astray and gone according to our own foolish ways and yet lord you laid our sin on christ you came to rescue us and you have brought us to new life and we rejoice and thank you lord thank you that uh, your kingdom has come that your kingdom is coming and yet we recognize that we defer the ultimate hope to the future when the kingdom will fully and finally come, when the hope of the resurrection will be fully and finally realized, when we will live eternally with no more death, no more pain, no more tears, um, and Lord, no more curse, no more breakdown. We long for that day, and in the meantime, we want to know you, we want to serve you, and, and we do want to be used of you to give glimpses into eternity. Would you do that, Lord? Would you so equip us and move us and open doors and opportunities that we might be used uh, for the spreading of your glory and your kingdom? I pray that you would minister to those who are hurting, uh, that you would give hope to those who find sin's influence overwhelming. And, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might better know you and love you and follow you. In Christ's name, amen.